Well, I know it's officially called children's time, but if you were paying attention to Reverend Lauren, then you are set up for success as it relates to this scripture. The reading today is from John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. Now, I may have told you this story before. I'm not sure. I'm getting to that age, maybe, where I used to be able to remember what story I would say with what scripture and da-da-da. Anyway, I can't anymore. I cannot remember what stories I've told you. So um, if I've told you this story before, just know that it was so important to repeat it today, right? Uh, When I was in elementary school, every summer I attended church camp. You may remember me saying in the past that when I was little, I was very shy. Polite and kind, but painfully shy. And one (laughs) funny thing about this camp was that the rules were not always explicit. Sometimes you learned about the rules by breaking them. Like in the cafeteria, where I unknowingly one meal put my elbow on the table. The whole camp burst out in this song. Get your elbows off the table, Sandy. Get your elbows off the table, Sandy. Get your elbows off the table just as soon as you are able. Get your elbows off the table, Sandy. Right? And then one of the camp counselors would yell out something like, now skip around the room, or walk like a chicken, or something. And I'm sure I did not really know what was going on this very first time, but I was mortified. 
They had found me out. I had neither manners nor decorum at seven. And not only did I do a bad thing, I was bad. Bad girl. And so with flushed cheeks and chest burning with shame and embarrassment, I half-heartedly skipped around the room while everyone around me became a movie scene close-up of children pointing, covering their mouths in shame, shaming me, all with like that distorted laugh track in the background. And you know that feeling of not just doing something wrong, but being wrong? That's how Brene Brown describes shame. And spoiler, spoiler alert for our sermon today, I pull heavily from the work of Brene Brown, as she is probably the person in our current culture that has done the most work around shame, and I find the most helpful. She defines shame as the intensely painful experience or feeling of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. And before you start to say, this is not an issue for me, I want to share this fundamental principle of shame that Brene Brown shares in her book, Dare to Lead. We all have it, she says. I just broke this microphone. Okay. We all have it, she said. Shame is universal and one of the most primitive human emotions that we experience. The only people who don't experience shame are those who lack the capacity for empathy and human connection. So here's your choice. Fess up to experiencing shame or admit that you're a sociopath. Quick note, this is the only time that shame seems like a good option. So before you tune this out and think this isn't for you, it is. Brown goes on to say that sometimes in our world, people connect the idea of shamelessness as being the root of why people might make unethical decisions, saying that bad behavior can be linked to a lack of shame. Oh, they're just shameless, right? This is wrong and dangerous, says Brene Brown. Shame isn't the cure. It's the cause. Definitely, she says, we should hold people accountable, but just pile on more shame Quote, more shame just makes them more dangerous, gives them the opportunity to redirect attention to the shaming behavior, and weirdly can drum up support from others who are also looking for a way to discharge their pain and an enemy to blame. Cut to the story of Jesus with the scribes and the Pharisees coming up to him and bringing a woman that they say was caught in the act of adultery. Some of us noticed the man wasn't um, brought as well, but I digress. They are testing Jesus. 
They want him to slip up in some way. And they are looking for people to blame, to point out and to scapegoat. And not only in this story, but in so many other stories involving the scribes and Pharisees, I wonder why. Why are these religious authorities always so angry, always scheming and conniving, always ready to throw someone under the bus? Are they really terrible, horrible sociopaths? And I also wonder if Jesus is asking himself this very same question when he has to take a time out and bend down and kind of doodle in the dirt. I imagine this might be an interaction when Jesus just needs a moment to breathe. These men are gathered around him, grandstanding, blustering, directing shaming behavior at anyone besides themselves. And we have some just kind of generic sense that Jesus knows their hearts or knows their minds or their intentions maybe even better than they do. And I wonder if he was considering whether these were normal people that were in such pain about the ways that they failed to measure up that instead of dealing with that, they weaponize and turn conveniently on this found woman. Or they're just sociopathic. I think he's kind of balancing that out there. In the end, however, Jesus treats the scribes and Pharisees as people, broken people, but trust them enough to have the capacity to be self-reflective when he says, you know, whoever it is that is without sin, you can throw the first stone. He completely diffuses the situation by treating these men not with scorn or contempt, which would just perpetuate the shame cycle, but with empathy and as humans that can think for themselves. And this whole terrible scene, shaming couched in religious rule following. Well, the scripture says she's an adulteress. We can stone her. The whole scene changes. Not only do the men disperse one by one, dropping their stones. But the woman is physically unharmed. Jesus doesn't even look up. Jesus doesn't stare anyone down. Jesus doesn't tower over anyone. He just waits, allowing each person to deal with their own inner lives. Now, Brene Brown says that shame loves to live in the dark, to hide and breed and nefariously weave its way through our understanding of ourselves. 
But empathy, according to Brown, is the antidote to shame. Taking the story of shame and bringing it out into the light, talking about it, holding grace and self-compassion for ourselves, and finding people who offer us empathy and connection. Because if shame is a universal emotion, someone else is going to understand your story. Just as we've all felt shame, we've probably all experienced a version of this scenario, too. Maybe, maybe you're walking along, you're hanging out with someone, a friend, an acquaintance, and suddenly something pretty vulnerable just kind of falls out of your mouth. And immediately you're embarrassed and give a little laugh. <laughs> but your companion turns and says, Oh, you too? I think that all the time, or I've done that before. And suddenly, there's understanding. Suddenly, there's empathy. Suddenly, there's a connection. And suddenly, there's a little more light in the world. And so today, in honor of empathy, compassion, connection, and the overcoming of shame, I rewrote the elbows off the table song. Ready? You are worthy of belonging, Stephen. You are worthy of love, Nancy. We go and tell your tale of shame. We might learn we are the same. You are worthy. You belong, all of you. All of us. Sandy. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen.